Hey, Brian. Hey, Elliot. What's the talk of the table? Today, we are joined by Cassie Mothman. Cassie is a tabletop game designer known for such titles as Tangled Blessings, the indie groundbreaker award-winning The Sticker Game, and the recently crowdfunded Carved by the Garden, just to name but a few. Cassie Mothwin. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's going great. Going great. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Can't wait to get started. We've done it. We're in it. We've done it. We're there. We started. (laughs) Ready, set, go. Yeah. (laughs) So, So, Cassie, we really wanted to have you on the show because I first sort of discovered your work, came across you as a, as a person in the space because we were fellow Zine Month crowdfunders. We were yeah. both crowdfunding in February. We're graduates. We're alums. Yeah, we're, yeah. Fe- we're, we're part of the part of the, uh, part Zine of the club. Month 2023, baby. Yeah. Was that your first Zine Month? It was my second Zine Month, but oh, I was okay. the first one was very low-key. I did a much smaller game. But you did a very cool game for the Zine Month called Tangled Blessings. So I think we should start there. Uh, can you tell for people who don't know, broadly, what is Tangled Blessings? So Tangled Blessings is my magical school horror role-playing game that is designed for one or two players. It's GMless. It uses tarot cards, and it's made for a adults like the the what's the content in it i mean you can totally be a, a child or teenager going to school but i thought i was like i want to be at a graduate magical school so that's the content it's based on anamnesis by sam lee and if you haven't played anamnesis uh, you can also do that with multiple players gmless and also it's an amazing game so please go check it out because sam is amazing and sam also helped elliot with the latest release that Elliot had. So just go, Sam. We love Everyone Sam give Lee it up here. for Sam. Big yeah. friend of the pod, Sam Lee. Shout <laughs> Huge out. Huge friend yeah. of the pod. <laughs> yeah, so that's the game. And I wasn't planning on writing it, but Sam hosted a jam. Uh, it's called an itch jam where people will just like get in sort of a frenzy of writing, creating games. And Sam gave us like two months and I, I was like, I kind of been thinking about writing a magical school game and maybe there's an anamnesis game in me somewhere and turns out when you start thinking about oh what if we did four years of school wait that matches up with how Sam has anamnesis laid out and then it just really matched up with the system what I was going for and the the timing of the jam worked out and then Sam was like I might try to crowdfund my game that I'm writing for the jam and I was like, oh, maybe maybe it's time for me to finally venture into the crowdfunding space because before that, everything I had done had been digital. I was too scared and nervous to actually get anything printed. I had a print one print-on-demand product, but it was so much work that I was like, I don't know if I can handle doing, like, turned out to be fine, and it was a lot of fun, but it was extremely stressful. But that's how I got there. Was I was just like, I'm just going to follow Sam because they're amazing. <laughs> Truly. And you know, if, if anyone's been listening to this podcast or my first dungeon, they might think that I've like been a solo TTRPG stand for a very long time. And that's like not, this is a relatively new thing for me. I feel like start of this year, I was very much of the mindset that I now lambast against where I saw like the word solo and I was kind of like, you know, it's cool. It's interesting, but it's not for me. And the reason that I got into them was, was first Sam Lee's Anamnesis because we wanted to do a season of that for my first dungeon. So I kind of read through that. I listened to the Planet Arcana uh, playthrough of it. And because of that Planet Arcana playthrough, and because we we featured a bunch of Zine Month games in our newsletter, the 20-sided newsletter, 
I recognized the name Tangled Blessings. I was like, I'd read about it. I was like, okay, this looks cool. And then I saw Planet Arcana do a playthrough. And I was like, oh, I loved the Planet Arcana anamnesis. I'm listening to Planet Arcana, Tangled Blessings. And it blew my mind. Like, I remember exactly where I was walking near Union Square when, like, certain moments happened. And that was kind of, like, my path to finding your games. And the second I cracked that egg, I was like, oh, what else is Cassie making? Let, Let me check out all these things. These are great. Well, thanks. But yeah, no, Planet Ar- also shout out Planet Arcana. I know Jay's a, a, probably a friend of the pod as well. Um, but Absolutely. yes, Planet Arcana did an incredible playthrough of Tangled Blessings. Amazing. And the Planet Arcana playthrough really highlights this aspect of Tangled Blessings I want to dig in on, which is the way that you, you know, obviously this is based on anamnesis, but you broke the mold a little bit with this introduction of the rival. And I want to kind of hear maybe what what the motivation behind the rival was and how you cracked that uh, design aspect? Sure. So one of the things that I was going for was I was looking for, this is, I look, everything I do is self-indulgent because it has to be. I wanted more dark academia books. And what I mean by that is books about people in their 20s or 30s that were going to school, that were studying, that were drinking coffee and or tea in the library and burning candles and like having adult conversations, not teenagers. I don't know. I was just like, I was tired of the teenage, but also I wasn't finding any books that fit that. So I wanted, I was like, what if I created a game where people could make these stories for me that I could indulge in? By the way, people have sent me their playthroughs of Tangled Blessings and I've just like devoured every one of them. So uh, a mission accomplished. Hell yeah. <laughs> but one of the common tropes that I love in the dark academia genre is the idea of the rival. And you'll, you see the rival in almost every school story. Sometimes it's a bully. Sometimes it's a, it's a romantic interest. Sometimes it's a best friend. Uh, growing up, one of my favorite books was called The Great and Terrible Beauty. It is set at a boarding school and it's about four girls and them growing up at this boarding school and there's magic involved and they are rivals of each other. And I couldn't necessarily do a four-player situation, but Anamnesis, one of the functions and mechanics of that game is quote-unquote remembering your shadow. So it's a game where you don't have your memory and you recall who you are and what made you who you are and where you ended up as you play the game. And at the beginning of the game, you draw a card that represents your shadow. And as I went into developing Tangle Blessings, I was curious about how the shadow, how I would bring that piece of anamnesis into Tangle Blessings because I thought it was such a cool mechanic because as you play, you're supposed to reference the shadow to help give life to your memories And I thought, that's so cool, but I don't want to just be like, remember your shadow and Tangled Blessings, because it's not as, it's not as interesting. I wanted it to fit the setting a little bit. And I was like, wait, I have this, I remember sitting up in bed, my husband, I had already been telling my husband a little bit about this project. I was like, oh my God, the shadow is going to be the rival, but he didn't play Anamnesis, so he had no (laughs) idea what I was talking about. So I just, out of nowhere, like 1130 at night, I just sit up. The shadow will be the rival. And I'm looking at him with like these hate, like frenzied eyes. Like I've got to, I've got to write this down. And it worked. It, it just worked really well. And I think that's one of the things that draws people to it because there's so much you can do with the rival. You can make the right. A, a lot of people are drawn to the romantic interest aspect of it, but also can be a sibling, can be a best friend, a cousin, or just a, you can bully each other, which who doesn't love the license to bully your friend for fun. Right. <laughs> I, I really love the visual of you sitting up in bed, running to a manual typewriter and just typing shiny style. Uh, the shadow is the rival. The shadow is the rival. The shadow is the rival. That's a lot more interesting. 
texting, then grabbing my phone, and then the notes app. <laughs> it's honestly somehow creepier with if you would just kept doing it in the notes app, and your husband just like looks over and sees like pages of just the shadow as the rival with no <laughs> yeah. punctuation. So, so one of the things we've been talking about a lot on this show, and specifically recently because of our Project Echo season, we love solo games, but we want more people to kind of get involved in them. And we love the idea and kind of like the messaging that solo doesn't necessarily mean alone and taking something like Anamnesis and making it a two-player game because it kind of already had all the bones of a two-player game in it is really exciting to us and fun. Um, And I know, Elliot, I've mentioned this before that you had a couple of friends who reached out to you and said they like got Project Echo, which is, you know, a, a classic solo game. And we're going to play it with a group of people. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about, about your thoughts on where solo games are kind of going. Because we've definitely seen them tick up a lot. And like I feel like every Kickstarter we've looked at, you know, we saw this in Eat the Reich and in, was it Vessen? Uh, Vessen where just people, released solo rules, yeah. Where people are releasing solo rules or people who are supporting them are asking for solo rules. And I'm wondering... Uh, kind of what your thoughts are on why this happening, why this is happening and where it's going. Yeah, I have a lot of opinions. I do want to state in the upfront, though, that I'm also pretty new to this space. I didn't play my first solo game until um, December 2021, and that was The Sealed Library, which is a wretched and alone game. And that that's what broke my brain. And it was like, oh, this is what solo games can be. They're not just Dungeons and Dragons by yourself. This is like a whole experience. And so that's where I was like, oh, my God, my life has changed forever. This is there There was before the sealed library and there's after the sealed library. And I think a lot of people have have had a similar experience when it comes to solo games. Um, the first one you play is always going to be like this little special nugget. Anyway, uh, I think with the pandemic, we saw an explosion of solo games because people couldn't play together. And I think we're also seeing that people are still struggling to come come together and in in an increasingly online world, I don't always want to sit at my computer. And it's easier to play solo games away from my computer. I don't have to, like, when I bring up the computer, I mean, like, playing RPG games in Foundry or Roll20. I already sit at my computer all day for work and then go into another three-hour RPG game at my computer. It's just not ideal. So sometimes having that RPG experience where I can just go to the library or the cafe and just have a little moment to myself. It's amazing. In terms of where do I see them going? I I think they're just going to continue to grow. Um, they're, they're not new by any means. They have quite a varied history. I know there was someone who was putting together a history of solo RPGs. I was actually just looking up the history of them myself. And I don't know if they ever finished their article, but they had traced them back to like the 80s and 70s. There had already been like a a pretty good tale. So I think we're seeing what I would call a resurgence. And I think the more technology supports it, the further we're going to get. But also there's that line of when does it become a video game? Sure, sure, sure. So <laughs> it's like how much should this app help me versus how much is, is this just a... a a visual novel at that point. And I mean, that's something I've kind of been playing around with in my head as well. There's just a lot of overlap. I don't think it necessarily matters, but it is just something to think about. Um, but in terms of where do we see them going, I think we're just going to continue to see more because they're easier to make than group games. They're, you don't have to play test as much because 
I mean, you just don't. If some you're you're making your game for a select group of people, and if they don't like it, they don't like it, you know. Whereas when you're making it for a group of people to play, I feel like you have to play test a little bit more because you have to understand how the rules work together and how people interpret those rules in a group setting. But I I just feel like the it's easier to make a solo RPG, just like it's easier to write a novel than it is to probably create a movie because you need so many more people for a movie than you necessarily do to create a novel. That's a lot of rambling to say. I think the door is <laughs> wide open. <laughs> I love that you brought up the history. Cause I feel like when I've, um, I think to like explaining making a solo game or explaining a solo game to family members who are maybe a little older and they don't really, they know D and D they don't really know the TTRPG space at all. But like what the connection that gets people is Choose your own adventure books. Yeah, they're I was like, just about to say that. They're like, oh, I get this. This is like this is like those old choose your and it's like, yeah, it is. It's like choose your own adventure, except in le- except instead of flipping to that page, you get to that page and it's a question that you're responding to. You know, um, you're creating a good portion of the story and making it your own. So yeah, I think I, I love that. I would love to read a, a, a detailed history. I hope whoever's working on that. Um, picks it back up. I've never thought of that comparison of like solo games being a boundless choose your own adventure in the same way that D&D is like a boundless video game. You should look at the Cthulhu uh, solo rules. Even if you're not interested in Cthulhu, theirs are extremely close to choose your own adventure. You make an actual Call of Cthulhu character. You use the character sheet. They have a bunch of free ones you can look at. And then depending on your role, whenever you make a test, you turn to a certain page and you read the outcome. And that's how you move through the story. They have really good reviews as well. People really enjoy them. The, the closest thing that I got to with solo games before I kind of like dove into Anamnesis and now a bunch of others is I was really into for a brief time a couple years ago text adventure games like old school like Zork and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where you'd like, you, you know, what do you do? I pick up the sword. I turn left, that type of thing. And there's actually a great, man, I haven't played it in a while. I'm glad we talked about this because it reminded me how much I like this game. There's a, a TTRPG-esque kind of thing called Parsley that is essentially just a text game, but written as a book. So it's just, you know, it's got a bunch of maps and then questions that you ask your players. And it's just, you know, what do you do? I turn left, I grab the fishing pole, I put the fishing pole in my pocket or something. All right, uh, send me a link. Fun. I need to That's look a very at cool is very book. cool. Yeah. There's also, Please. there's a great, so there's a bunch of adventures in it that are longer and they're actually like fun to play with a group. But there's one in there that is, it's like four pages long. And the whole bit of it is that there's a goat that's on fire on a subway platform. And it's, yes. there's like five send questions. Me the book. Oh, it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I need this right now. <laughs> uh, it's it's great. We'll put the we'll put the link in the description. We'll send it'll send you the link as well. Great. Yeah, I got to take a look at this. That sounds amazing. The other thing I love that you said, Cassie, was talking about this this question of like technology involvement and like pushing the boundaries between video game. I mean, like VTTs, like uh, virtual tabletops, to a certain mm-hmm. extent, start to push that boundary. We see a lot with things like. Um, Tailspire, I think, is like the real, the real 3D, 3D one. But I, one of the big things we wanted to talk to you about today was I think you're doing something really innovative and interesting with bringing technology into solo gaming with the sticker game, which is an audio driven game. Can you talk to us about what the sticker game is? Yeah, I feel like I should say in the upfront, it's not really a game. I didn't know that when I named it. There's really no mechanics to it. There's no losing or winning. So I feel awkward calling it a game nowadays. But in the moment, it it felt right. I didn't really know what else to call it. Um, but today, I call it an 
audio drama narrative journaling experience. It sure rolls off the tongue really well. <laughs> it's going to catch on for sure. <laughs> so you don't have a character sheet or anything like that, but I do you are role playing, so I don't I hesitate to take away the role playing aspect of it. But you essentially, it is an audio experience, um, to put it succinctly, I guess. It has 42 tracks, and you are a researcher. You've been tasked with using your sticker collection. This game was created for people like me who buy a bunch of stickers or find themselves with a bunch of stickers and never have (laughs) the courage to put them anywhere. So you have been tasked with using your stickers to influence another universe. And whatever stickers you use are what influence this universe in a weird way. So it's been successful in the sense that, I mean, it did win an award and it's been nominated for several um, awards at WebFest and as a selection at WebFest. And I know on the surface, it's like, this doesn't sound very, I mean, you just use your stickers. Why couldn't that just be in a journal? And that's one of the reasons I decided to go audio because I felt like if I just made it into a journal, it would just be an activity book. And people wouldn't feel as geared to geared up to participate in the experience. I wanted it to feel like someone is telling you to put your sticker here, because if you don't, another the version of you in this other universe could potentially die. So it it feels a little bit more real, I think, and I that's why I wanted it to be audio. I wanted it to be like there is the GM there, but also I. I just didn't think an activity book would nail the theme I was going for. It's so hard to explain without giving away what makes it so magical, which means it doesn't sell well, but I promise it's magical. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds, I mean, everything you're describing sounds like the word game fits. I mean, based on, based on the breadth of tabletop. a, A game over track. So we thought about having a bunch of different tracks you could go to, like different choices you could make. And if you make a choice here, if you make a choice here, like you'll play this track or you'll play this track. And it got really complicated really fast. So we only have one track and it's if you get, you can't, you just can't get yourself to put three stickers down. After that, you have to play the game over track, which is just like, wow, you really couldn't use your stickers. Good work. (laughs) So that's the only like um, losing aspect of it. But otherwise, you just there's a role playing aspect to it, and it's uh, it's very cool. You can play some audio from it if you want to for your podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Right here, Affix. You can't be serious. Are you sure you don't have a single sticker somewhere in your massive supply that you could use? Not even one. Well, and I think, like, uh, I know you count the Stanley Parable amongst inspirations, which I feel like is a great way for people to, like, get the vibe yeah. of, of why it being an audio product is so important. It, exactly. It's the – that narrator piece was really important to na- for us to be a part of it. I say us because my husband is the was the voice actor for most of the project, and he also did help uh, with some of the developmental writing of it. And we really wanted that sort of um, character to be in the game. And I knew that wouldn't come across if we did it through a book, which I some people are so good at having a really great, strong voice in their tabletop RPGs. I just felt like 
text wasn't going to be the best way to deliver this. That said, we do have the the text version if you just want to read sure. all the whole script. Like that that comes with the game, but you miss out on all the fun of <laughs> the audio the editing that I spent yeah. months doing. <laughs> <laughs> I do really love the intentionality of looking at a game and being like this is the easier medium to do of doing it as a workbook, but it's not the correct medium. And like taking that extra step of being like, no, this, what this needs is to be an audio thing. And I think that, that's, we, we were talking with Jay Stroutman the other day about like innovation and stuff and why we love Planet Arcana and what they're doing because they're coming to things with such an intentionality in the same way that you are, like coming to things with an intentionality and with an idea and with like the audience in mind in a way that like immediately elevates everything that you're putting out. I don't have a question. I just want to applaud that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Was Jay also frustrated with themselves because they just couldn't stop? They're just like, nope, now that I know it has to be this way, it ha- I can't do it any other way. <laughs> oh, that's, I, I feel that <laughs> the on creator a daily curse. Basis. If they didn't say it explicitly, I think it was the what we were all feeling as we were talking about this. <laughs> yeah, because you, you hear something that you just know, or you hear something, you see something, and you just know it's wrong. You don't quite know mm-hmm. why, but you know it's wrong, and you know you have to do it better or right, and yep. you're never going to get that out of your head. Yeah, yep. the, I, I, yeah. often wish I had the freedom to half-ass, uh, <laughs> or like the freedom, yeah, the freedom to such- let small things go <laughs> i wish i had the power it is yeah. funny that every now and then i'll send like elliot or or abby or, or Schnook an audio file and i'll be like hey can you just like listen to the last like 20 minutes of this because i really started to just half-ass it and every time they're like what do you mean it's like <laughs> yeah it's true i don't know <laughs> that's that's yeah it's also good to have somebody to check that voice because it can it can uh oh for be sure too aggressive the the check the check yourself voice i think related to this is the idea of uh, that of how you put together this physical edition, which is this cool little, like... So cool. uh, Video game style case with a little USB stick in it, I think is so cool and interesting, and it's a physical edition I haven't seen in any other TTRPG. So I don't know that I have a question here. I just want to say how cool I think it is um, and how it feels, again, like it's really specific to this game. I hope it sells well. (laughs) (laughs) That is... So because we haven't seen it anywhere else, that means you don't necessarily have like guidelines on how to do it. How did you even like, so you had this idea, you thought, hey, that's a cool idea. And what most people do when they have a a cool idea like that, they realize how much work it's going to be and they go, you know what, I'll just do it this way instead. How did you get from cool idea, have to do it and then deliver it? Because that's there wasn't necessarily a track for you that that you could follow from other TTRPG designers. So is your question about how did I make the physical edition or how did I make the sticker game? I think how you made the physical edition specifically, but I love, I honestly both. Uh, how did I make the sticker game? A lot of pain and tears. Uh, how did I make Classic. the physical edition? <laughs> so I did not have the, I've had like, loosely had the idea to make a physical edition. It was like, all right, I should make a physical edition. I should like make a sticker book uh, or a sticker sheet and then just put a download code on the sticker sheet. Bam, physical edition. Um, Then I got approached by a local like art group in St. Louis, which is where I currently live. I applied to be a vendor at their expo that they have every October, and they decided to select me as a special guest artist. Yay! Oh, amazing. Congrats. Uh, Yeah. So in that selection, I am doing a 
a presentation or like something that has to do with my art and I pitched them. I was like, what if we just played the sticker game? It's an audio game. We play it over the speakers and people show up and bring their sticker collection. Maybe before we start the game, like we bring some address labels or something and people can also create their own stickers to play the game with. And they were like, yeah, we love that. You also should sell the sticker game there. And I was like, okay, yeah, sticker sheets with the code on them. And it just, it felt like it wasn't right. It felt like it didn't fit the event. This is, you know, I'm a special select guest artist, yada, yada, all this nice stuff. And I was like, here's my sticker sheet with an itch.io code. I just don't know if these people are going to know how itch.io works. <laughs> so, That's fair. you know, it's, <laughs> or drive through RPG. And I just felt like, oh gosh, that's just asking a lot of people who don't know how to navigate that space because they don't. It's itch.io is so complicated for people who don't have any idea how the site works. So I was like, all right, I've got to figure out a new approach to this. And I went through so many iterations of what I was going to do. I was like, do I get just a, they do these cool credit card USB drives. I don't know if you've seen those oh, where yeah, sure. like Google does them sometimes and they'll like put like a software on the USB, you know, it's branded and whatnot. But that was going to be like $5 a card. And I was like, that's not interesting. Like just handing people a card that says the sticker game isn't very interesting. I was like, I want this to be. I have to, I'm going to have to charge a lot for it just to help cover the cost of it. So this was going to be like a $5 card. And then I found, oh, I can buy a case that comes with USBs for the same price. And if I get that, I can also put the booklet that I made for the game inside of it. I can put a I Survived the Sticker Game sticker inside of it. And I also ordered sticker sheets um, that I drew and those can go inside of it as well. So it can be a whole little package versus just being... A USB drive. I just, ugh, I was like, I feel bad just charging people for a USB drive, but I just know they're not going to know how the itch.io code works. So that's how I ended up with the case. I love how it turned out. I worked with a local printer to get the cover and the booklet that goes inside of it printed. I thought I went a couple different ways on how I wanted it to be designed. Part of me wanted to do like the game itself is set as though you're getting sent a care package from the agency and you have to follow the instructions within this care package to then work with the guide to actually play the, the code name sticker game. And I thought about dressing it up like that. And in the end, I just felt like it didn't quite fit the vibe of what I wanted people if they just glanced at it to take away from the game. So I went with the look we see. Uh, but I'm real. I'm really happy with how it came out. I think it looks great, and I think it's gonna also it'll sell better at conventions. To be completely sure. honest, oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, it looks like something now that you can put on the shelf. You know what I mean? That's what that case yeah. gives it. It gives it that shelf presence. I have to say, shout out to Matt Sanders, who again, who wrote the sealed library because he's the one who pushed me. I was like, I don't really know. Should I do a physical edition? And he was like, Yes, people will buy a physical. They'll buy a USB of your game. So. <laughs> And that was at Gen Con, so shout out. <laughs> it is now such a luxury item or like a uh, like a high quality, like you put it on your shelf. It's not just like a thing that's sitting on your shelf and you forget what USB it is. It's like sitting there right next to your video games and next to your TTRPG books. Uh, it's very cool. Yeah, I like that it's something you can put on yourself. It's not something that's going to like slip away in between your books necessarily. It has like a spine, you know, so... Yeah, I'm really I'm glad you guys like it. I'm really happy with how it's turning out. We do have to hand stuff every single like everyone is hand put together. The labels put on the USB. We're sliding the files over, so it is a very manual process. But but there is something with that that I feel like anyone who picks up a tabletop role playing game or picks up you know an actual play podcast or picks up really any type of media with which they're meant to interact, 
there is such an activation energy to doing anything new, like picking up a new show, picking up a new mm-hmm. book, picking up a new actual play show, playing a new game, especially. Uh, like, I mean, so many people are stuck on just playing D&D. And when they can pick up a thing and immediately see there's so much work putting into this. This was done intentionally. This was done with me in mind. Look at how cool this thing is. I've never seen anything like this. What is this? Immediately, you're over 99% of that activation home because you know the second you open that book or that game or that TV show, you're going to be taken care of. And that's the hardest thing to do and the easiest thing to overlook because it doesn't it's not the thing you want to make necessarily, but it's the most important part. It is like, like we put so much work into the covers of books. We kind of want people to judge them by their covers sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and no one wants, no creators don't want to talk about how they, ha- how we have to hold hands of our audience to get them mm-hmm. to engage with our stuff. But you do. I mean, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but don't complain about sales later if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. You have to onboard people. <laughs> it's such an important phase. You have to guide people. You have to show them it's easy and it's okay. It's it's the reason why every video game has like that first level that's super, super easy that just teaches you how to use all the buttons. Like you need that onboarding process. Even the sticker game has a tutorial level. Love it. Love a tutorial <laughs> level. <laughs> I have to say that I that I, I feel you so much on the on the stuffing and stuff yourself because the the biggest mistake, though I'm happy I did it with Project Echo, was making it a multi-piece game because then that mean meant getting all the pieces shipped to me and, you know, gluing bookmarks into the back of the book and wrapping everything up in red twine. Yeah, I'm very eager to make a book that's just a book next, uh, maybe before getting into a multi-part thing, um, as much as I did love uh, that in the end. but Yeah, I did candle boxes for Tangled Blessings. Yes, you did. You did special edition, <gasps> these really that. cool boxes. Yes, yes, yes. 40 was too many. <laughs> I will say that. 40? <laughs> Oh, I was like, oh, maybe she did like 10. 40 is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot. Good on you. It was was two weeks of stuffing. Anyway, that's I also, so I know we're going to talk about Carved by the Garden, which was my next project. And I was like, no more, no special edition box. No, this one's just a book. (laughs) Okay, wait, I I, got to know though, because sometime in that process, you probably had that itch in the back of your head that's like, ooh, here's the fun idea for Carved by the Garden. What what was the idea that you decided? No, 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 (laughs) don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I did it. You did it? What was it? I kept it simple, though. I did um, Jenga blocks, wood-carved Jenga blocks. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So I think I only had seven people. I priced them really high because I was like, I don't really want to do this. But if people are willing to spend the money, I will. Because it's, it's I mean, it was more so like, I don't want to do this for as little as I made on the candle boxes. Because it was just so much time and and not that like making money is my goal, but that it was to help fund the project. So it's like if I'm gonna do this, it has to help really help fund the project. Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing. Um, we did, and I'm still figuring out all the specifics of like getting the the sized box order. But I'm do people could order three them in threes Jenga blocks that will be they'll all be unique and they're all wood burn and they come with one unique prompt that isn't in the actual game and then I also did a full Jenga tower which did sell so I'm gonna be wood burning a whole Jenga tower <laughs> that bastard who bought it <laughs> there, first uh, backer why I uh, first, first backer, backer? that's yes. excellent <laughs> I'm excited to do it it'll be fine it paid for the wood carving kit 
Like, I was using a very base craft one, and I priced the big Jenga tower enough to where I could afford an actual wood-burning kit. So I'm like, great, thank you. I This has funded everything I wanted and more. <laughs> yeah, and that person will treasure that tower. Oh, I, oh, I hope so. That's true. <laughs> there is something very fun about doing those, like, deeply personal, like, personalized things for people who you know are going to, like, super enjoy your game. The 80s are over. And you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you and you got touched by the weird and it made you wild and it made you powerful. This is the world of The Lost Bay, a suburban gothic RPG. A fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter, featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com. The other like uh, thing I want to pull out of this sticker game physical edition story you told is engaging with this local art community that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of, um, again, to mention Sam Lee once more, uh, Sam has this upcoming collaboration with a ballet in New York city. And I think it's so interesting, like the ways that now, like you're the second version of like a TTRPG person collaborating with a different medium. I don't know if, if there's any more you want to say about that, like kind of why you decided to reach out in that way, or, um, did you think it would be to connect on a TTRPG level or were you reaching out as a visual artist? I was reaching out to, they have a convention and I was like, I, I mean, I did the art for, I do the, the, the illustrations for a lot of my stuff. Um, and I do the layout. So I was like, I feel like I could, I could fit in at their convention. And when they said that I was a selected artist, I was like, are you sure? Do you, are you, do you know what this is? Do you know what I do? And it turns out the president, uh, is actually an editor for a tabletop RPG books. So they were really excited that there was a, not only, cause this is a, like a national convention that we just have in St. Louis. So not only were they excited that I was a tabletop RPG person. They were excited I was a local tabletop RPG person because they're like, we just don't see that kind of representation. So I, as much as I would like to say that I reached out to them because I'm courageous and I want to see the medium grow and the only way it will grow is if we bend the genre and work with others who are in other spaces. Uh, well, I believe that, I w- they reached out to me. <laughs> and I thank Amazing. them for that, yeah. <laughs> Still, I mean, it's, it's, it's very cool to see and I think it's a good, I think it is a good... Um, lesson for people of like you might find collaboration with your TTRPG design work in unexpected places. I mean like the Die comic book the Die comic absolutely made it yeah. to an incredible tabletop RPG. So yeah, I think there's don't be afraid to reach out. And I will I mean even I think his last 
as you, you probably noticed, I'm very bad with names. Um, but Tyler of Possible Worlds will say to reach out to like comic book artists to illustrate your work. Don't just like stick it in the tabletop RPG space because they have a lot to offer and perspectives to provide that you're just not going to find unless you reach out. And I mean, I think other people will say that across industries, don't just work within your industry, work with people outside of your industry because the perspective you will gain is priceless. Absolutely. So I, I want to talk about your actual play of The Wretched. I know this has been nominated for a bunch of awards at various webfests, along with us at New Jersey Webfest, Minnesota, New Zealand? Or New, New no, Zealand the was sticker the sticker game. game. The sticker made game made in New Zealand. New Zealand. The New Zealand Webfest didn't have a spot for video APs when I looked. You got too many award-nominated and or winning projects for us to keep track. So we're just (laughs) – if you look it up, it's probably there from Cassie. I have to keep telling myself like, hey, next year there there won't be this. So be ready to just have a quiet year. (laughs) There won't be as many awards. I bet not. I bet not. I just heard about a full Woodburn Jenga tower that might say otherwise. (laughs) So our most recent season of My First Dungeon, as of the recording of this, was uh, our Project Echo season, so Elliot's solo game. And we ended up playing it as a kind of collaborative experience. So uh, Abby Hepworth was kind of the main player, and then Elliot and I were kind of support players. Like Abby would essentially play and do all the roles and draw the cards and things. And then anytime it was a scene where there were additional people, we'd jump in. And through doing that and through doing our anamnesis season, we've loved bringing solo games to actual play and then like seeing that come from your wretched playthrough on video and then seeing you know planet arcana do theirs and seeing one or two other people who are like really elevating this specific specific art form in this specific genre has been very cool i guess my, my question is what prompted you to try to do a wretched actual play and i i kind of want to ask the question like why why did it go so hard? But I think I'm realizing like it's just always the itch in your back in the back of your head and you're always yeah. gonna say yes to it. Yeah, it's so annoying. If I have an idea and I see even the slightest way that it could be possible, I can't not follow through. It's so annoying because it happens when I'm like really busy with other stuff. Um so the wretched. I had played the sealed library, which is a wretched and alone system. So I it's based on the wretched, which has the Wretched has spawned a system called the Wretched and Alone system. It's a great system if you like feeling sad and pathetic like me um, for <laughs> pretend. Anyway, I knew I was – I'm good. I'm very good at doing dramatic roles without making it seem cheesy because I am of – I'm a forever GM by choice. I just really enjoy running games, and I enjoy running very dramatic games where my players may or may not cry. They are okay with this. But I am I know I'm very good at it. So I've had, I've had like – years of practice. I went to state for dramatic interpretation in high school. Like, not to toot my own horn, but, you know, I've got a little <laughs> bit of experience. Toot away. <laughs> so, so I knew uh, I could bring something in the acting space to to the field. But I had, I had very little streaming experience at this point. I had only been streaming for three months. I had very little, I had no green screen experience. And I had I had not. I hadn't read the Wretched. I went into the game without having any knowing anything about the prompts, other than it was probably based on Alien and other space horror. Um, but I felt confident in doing it because I knew that I could trust Chris Bissett, the author of the Wretched, to have great prompts. I just knew I could trust them, and then. I knew enough about space horror that I felt confident enough that I could rely on myself to come up with 
interesting responses to their questions in the game. And then I also knew the system would enable me to allow a one episode situation where I wouldn't have to worry about creating a series. It would and it would end and I was confident enough in myself too to be able to provide an ending that kind of felt okay, even though it's like a randomly generated ending, basically. If you haven't played The Wretched, it's played with a Jenga tower, or if you're not familiar with it, and when the Jenga tower falls, or you draw three kings, uh, or something else happens, you you die, usually, in those games. So that's what happened, is I ended up drawing four kings, which... And I, I streamed it live. <laughs> so, and I was, uh, so it was just, I had, I think I had seen a couple TikToks at this point that were like about, hey, if you want a green screen in your video, go to Dollar Tree and buy green tablecloths. And so um, Brian and Elliot can see the room I'm in right now. I hung a, a, a tablecloth on this door and opened it and I hung a tablecloth on the wall behind me. And that was my green screen. Um, and I think I also set up some poster boards that were green. And so this whole room just became like green uh, in Dollar Tree stuff. And I just was like, all right, I think I can do this. And I haven't done it again, though, because it was so much work. <laughs> I did do a stream of um, Galatea by Kaya, SJ Kaya, it, and it's an amazing game. Uh, I was I haven't promoted that stream at all. I think I did great. I did great, but my costume came over very poorly in the video. I think the lighting is just really bad, so I hate how I look in it. So mm. audio only. Just listen to it. <laughs> but it, it's a great game, and I think I did a great job in that one as well. But basically, it was like uh, I, I had a vision. I knew I could make it work because I knew the setting was so specific. I knew I could figure out visuals pretty easily. And I knew it could be contained within a couple hours. It was basically was like I knew enough answers to questions that I could build it out from there. Whereas I feel like a lot of solo games, I don't know the answers to those questions, so it's harder to create that experience without spoiling yourself on what's there. And then I feel like, not that it's um, inauthentic, I just feel like my response to it wouldn't be as authentic as I was going into The Wretched. I think that's why it's, it's so good, though, because I did go into it without knowing much about it. In a homemade VFX room, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Covering it was so all the hot too. Screen. I did that in the middle of summer and we we're in the second floor of an apartment. And I was like, all the green screen. We had to turn off the AC because it, the vent is right behind me. And it was blowing the green screen. I was committed to the art though. <laughs> so you were experiencing like real abject horror. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I'm sure helped. <laughs> I was wearing a, a whole bodysuit too, a whole space suit. Oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was committed to the bit. No, I always go hard, always 110%. <laughs> Elliot's heard this story a million times, but there's a cafe in the West Village that I like to work at. And above the bathroom, there's a sign that I absolutely love that says, I think it, they attribute the quote to Edgar Allan Poe. I don't know if it actually is, but it says, Go look a fool, tis the secret of a wise man. And I love how often it is true that, like, the projects you go into with the most ignorance and naivete and, like, I'm going to make it work no matter what are often and the ones that – yeah. yeah, yeah, that that fuck it, fuck it, whatever happens is going to happen. That's my Or the ones that success. end up working. <laughs> yeah, you just got to say hey, before every product just, eh, fuck it. Go. Yeah, there's an arrival point. It's a, it's something my, my brother and I have always said, and I think he probably said it first, is, like, I've arrived at fuck it. Um, on this thing. It's like, I was really worried it. about it and now I've arrived at fuck it. I love that. Um, I don't think I've ever said that, but I've 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 had that you moment. felt it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's a station that you get off at mm -hmm. at a certain point. Um I also like Brian, you saying that Elliot has heard this story a lot. Like I don't hear it when we're recording, so that at this point consistent listeners have also <laughs> heard it a lot. That's true. <laughs> I, I think the past like three or four episodes that we've recorded, 
I've said the same thing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You've got a, uh, you've got, um, you're consistent if nothing else. Yeah. I've got a, I, I like, you know what I like? I like being, becoming a regular at a place where like you go in. I remember, um, when I first moved to New York, there was uh, a pizza place or like a chicken, chicken stand and all of our roommates would go cause we were flat broke and you could get a chicken sandwich for a buck 50. It was just a Tyson chicken patty with honey mustard on it. And after a certain point, we'd go in and just hold up a number of fingers and the guy would like nod and we'd receive that many chicken fingers. Like no words were spoken. We would go in, put up three fingers, he would nod. And three minutes later, we'd give him 650 or whatever. And that's New York, baby. I'm nothing if not <laughs> consistent. <laughs> so I, speaking of the Wretched and Alone SRD, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick us back over to Carved by the Garden for a question that I've been wanting to ask sort of when looking at your year, which has been, I think, uh, if you'll let me say, a very successful, very cool year of From Tangled Blessings to Carved by the Garden. And I'm curious about with making Carved by the Garden, your decision to use Kickstarter, obviously use Crowdfunder for Tangled Blessings. And like, why was Kickstarter the right way to crowdfund Carved by the Garden for you? Yeah. So there there are a couple of reasons. Uh, One, I busted my ass marketing Tangled Blessings. I burned out hard. I was on every app every day, like through January and February, messaging people, posting, writing emails, creating graphics, because I was the only person on the project aside from my editor and my photographer, and obviously like my my pl- the play testers, but otherwise like it was just me. So I was also doing all the art and all the social media presence and It was just a lot and it was extremely successful, but I felt like I had to fight for every single dollar. One, I had to convince people that you could trust Crowdfunder because no one knew what it was. And that was, that was a, a a hill like climbing. That was a big hill to climb. I didn't think hard enough about like in the, before it started, I didn't reach out to enough people about trades in terms of like. Uh, I'll I'll promote your project if you promote mine or anything like that. I promoted a couple just to be nice. Like I was like I might have promoted Project Echo. I don't remember. <laughs> I think like, we did it, but I don't think either of us knew neither one of quite us that that was an other. existing system of yeah. things to do. I definitely didn't going into Zine Month. I was like, oh, people actually just straight up talk to each other and say, let's cross promote. It's not just this like dance. <laughs> yeah, um, I just did it because I was like, oh, I like this person's project. They are also funding. Go give them money, please. Uh, it was, But I didn't like coordinate anything. So, And I do work in marketing by day. So I was also doing this in my day job. So it was just so much and it was a lot. And there were a lot of great tools on Crowdfunder that I actually ended up missing when I went, moved to Kickstarter. Uh, But I wanted to try Kickstarter because a lot of people will say, if you have an interesting enough product project on Kickstarter, you don't really have to market it. It'll do it'll do its thing. And I hate to say it, but the machine works. I barely talked about Carved by the Garden because I was so burned out. And it it funded a little bit more than Tangled Blessings. And I was I was on I was doing I think I was doing two interviews a week. Uh, when Tangled Blessings was fun. And they funded for the same amount of days. They were both crowdfunding the same amount of days. And unfortunately, Kickstarter just has that built-in audience. So if you don't right. have the energy to to do all the marketing or the time and you can be on Kickstarter, it was it was a lot easier. It was it was easier to just be like, go do your thing, carved. And then I came back, you know, and it was it was good to go. I 
uh, that's really what it was. I was tired, but I wanted to, I wanted my game to print. So <laughs> totally makes sense. And I mean, and you, you can, as somebody who used crowdfunder in February as well, you know, you, you get that feeling when you watch Kickstarter projects, you're like, it seems like that's not, and, and again, I don't want to, I, I don't want to diminish the work of anybody who runs a Kickstarter because I do think sure. that like any crowdfunding it's is an inordinate work. amount of work. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is easy to, it was easy, especially this past February to be experimenting with crowdfunder and watching people like, shoot up on these kickstarters there is that the machine works like you said um and and you know it's yeah it's got this innate discoverability built into it it's a very clean app that people know how to use they know they can trust it and you know crowdfunder might build that level of trust i know that yeah i went on the platform recently and it's changed a lot the user interface since since i used it back in february so maybe they're making steps but no i totally hear you and i think that that's like a super valid reason. There is also a little bit of a problem with Crowdfunder that I'm leery of, and that is that uh, it uses PayPal directly to you. So it connects to, like, your account connects to mine. There is no middleman, which at first I was like, that's great. But also there's, like, a privacy issue in there. Also, and I don't know how many people are aware of this, PayPal has a pretty strict 30-day pre-order policy. So if somebody purchases something from you through PayPal and you don't deliver it within 30 days, PayPal is likely to refund that money. It did not happen to me, but I have heard they've started oh, wow. like oh, wow. getting harder on that policy. So that's something that I was also aware of. Even Backerkit reached out to me because I put Carved by the Garden up for pre-order on Backerkit. And I was like, oh, I'll activate PayPal because I was just in the flow of things and I forgot. And they're like, are you planning on fulfilling pre-orders within 30 days because if not you might have a problem with paypal so it's also Mm. that aspect is there's nothing built in to protect creators on crowdfunder at least when i used it so those were some of the things i just was like i'm a little leery of this i thought i think it was great for zine month but also i i really wanted to also know what the kickstarter experience was and because i just feel like it's kind of a rite of passage. <laughs> like, you know, I, I just feel like so many people, when you go through Kickstarter, there's a lot you learn and you can take that knowledge to other platforms and whatnot. Um, but I wanted I wanted that rite of passage at least. I think those are good, very practical watchouts for people as well. I, I didn't I didn't know that having having uh, used crowdfunders and didn't luckily experience any issues in that way either. Yeah, yeah, I didn't either. And technically, they're not buying anything from you, but you have to argue with PayPal about that if it ever does become an issue. And who knows who, who PayPal will side with? So. And you mentioned that there were some tools on crowdfunder that you missed going to Kickstarter. What was what was positive about crowdfunder? Scheduling updates. You can't schedule updates on Kickstarter. So one really? of my favorite things to yeah, one of my favorite things to do on Crowdfunder was the night before because I, I work during the day. I would write up my little update. I would upload my images and I would schedule it to go out at like seven thirty in the morning. Not on Kickstarter. You have to like you have to either have it saved somewhere else, but then you still have to upload all your images separately. There's no uh, there's no scheduling feature, and that was and really, no like draft post either. There's no uh, yeah. I think there is. There might have been a draft. Maybe, mm. but it wasn't obvious, and I was sure. So it was better to just there was no like save as draft. I didn't see it. It wasn't as clear cut as crowdfunders. At least I just really loved being able to schedule and just go to bed. You know, it was. <laughs> I couldn't believe how much I missed it. I will. I'd say I'll say I'll add to this sort of thought personally. Of 
I found address collection and especially like address change to be, you know, it's so ubiquitous with um, BackerKit. And then BackerKit doesn't integrate with CrowdFunder, at least didn't back in February. And that process gave me a lot of stress until packages were out the door and headed to people. And I still have a little stress about it because we have some arriving. Hopefully by the time this airs, everything's arrived. But um, but yeah, the the address updatability of BackerKit and Kickstarter is one of its like real strong fulfillment aspects, that partnership. That was another thing I wanted. I also had a little bit of issues with collecting addresses um, and fulfillment in general. A lot of that, unfortunately, was because of the way CrowdFunder collects that information. And I knew if I went through Kickstarter, I could for sure use BackerKit and at least get a sense of how that process worked. And they having their support in just building the survey was amazing. It's nice to have, I think I had like three people go over my BackerKit survey at BackerKit. And I think I only had to pay, keep in mind I raised like, I think $13,000. I had to give them 200 of that, um, which isn't much. And then they also collected some on the top um, of what I've raised since then, which for me, the peace of mind is worth it because it was it was a lot to do all of that by myself in, well, like I said, I burned out really hard with everything. So it was a lot. It was, it was very nice to have that oversight and to have them go in and be like, hey, this question is kind of worded confusingly. So we think it should be this way. We went ahead and updated it. But if you want to take it back, that's totally fine. Here's what you originally had. Just wanted you to be aware. And like them going through and making sure and like, ugh, it was just, it was really, really nice to have that. Sorry to go on a tangent about that. <laughs> no, not at all. We very recently talked to Jay Stroutman, your friend and ours. Um, yes. And- Shout out to Jay. Shout out Jay. Shout out Planet Jay Arcana. also helped with the sticker game. So, uh, Oh, hell yeah. I had that. Well, I had a ton of audio questions. I had no idea what I was doing audio-wise. So I was like, Jay, if you have time, I've got questions. And Jay was just so generous. Jay would hop on a Discord call with me and help talk me through like stuff in Cakewalk and help me understand all the, all the EQs and all the, mm-hmm. all the finagling things that you do in that. And would also listen to some of my audio and give pointers. So shout out to Jay. <laughs> love Jay. Just another reason to love Jay Stroudman. Mm-hmm. We, we recently had them on and they mentioned a conversation that the two of you had some time ago that I wanted to ask you about. And it was, they were playing a game of Monster Hearts and remarked on, I believe on your Discord, that it could be played like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if this was played GMless? And they said that your answer was, all games could be played GMless if you trust your group enough. Mm-hmm. And that was my answer, and I still stand I, by that. I really love that sentiment, and I kind of just want to—I I, want to hear more about that because I think that sentiment is something that we've been dancing around a lot in kind of our own internal conversations and on this podcast. And you've said it so succinctly and perfectly. <laughs> like that was the answer that we were looking for. Yeah. So I just think a lot about growing up as a child. No one had a GM, but we all were playing role-playing games, right? Uh, and you were just all you would all take turns deciding where the narrative would go. Maybe it wasn't structured in the sense of let's roll a dice and see who decides this next thing. But we were all asking each other questions like, are you going to be the prince? Are you going to be the dragon? Are you going to be the mom, the, the evil stepmother? OK. And are you and it's like there was this and I just vividly recall these memories of working together to create these stories And so then when I started playing Dungeons and Dragons, which was my introduction to tabletop RPGs, it was like, there's this GM. But when I was reading the DM's guide, there is a section in there that's like, you can take turns being the GM. Uh, You can either roll a die to decide when somebody takes over the narrative, or you can just take turns and tell the same story. And so that always stuck in my brain. 
And then I wrote a GM list game, and it's where everybody just basically you all ask each other questions as you play. And there's a mechanic, it's called Clean Spirit, and it's where you take tokens and you can spend the tokens to ask each other questions, but the tokens motivate you to ask each other questions, which helps build the world and build the narrative and build the story. So, so. But I understand that not everybody has that internal structure. A lot of people are just used to having the story be told to them and then reacting to it. So that's where the, if you trust your friends, if, and trust is maybe not the correct word, but if you are all in that same headspace of being ready to create and tell a story and you trust each other in the sense of sharing, <laughs> which I know can be like, it can be difficult for some people. Some people really just want to have be part they don't want to invent which is totally fine but i think lots of ways to participate yeah but i think if you if you have the right group was really the word i was going for if you have the right group and you all are in the same headspace and it's a session zero like question right do do we all want to be a participatory in this or do we just want to like have a couple people be in charge of what's going on you can have a GM-less game in terms of everybody's the GM in in the sense. But I just, I'm a, I could ramble. Sorry. <laughs> no, I no, it's honestly, great. I feel like we have been rambling around this idea and I liked hearing such a like tip of the sword answer to what we had been rambling about. Because I really, I really like it. I feel like once I discovered GM-less games, like playing my first game of Wander Home, that so greatly influenced every other game I've run, even when I'm a... a Wander Home broke my brain open. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh one. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Wander Same. Home slaps, even though we <laughs> played it without any of the mechanics. <laughs> Reading it is an experience by itself, though. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Systems of relation. Remember our Yuzaba's conversation with Jay? Systems Brian? of relation. Oh, it's yeah, not yeah. out in the world yet. It will be out when this comes out. People It'll can go listen to our out, conversation yeah. with Jay, where we where we nerd out a little bit about systems to. of relation. That sounds great. So, Cassie, you've made very cool solo games. You've uh, made a GMless game. You have made an audio forward game. You're always doing very cool, interesting things, and you're giving it your all. Do you have any idea of what's kind of next, like where you want to experiment next, where you want to lean into in terms of design, or or what's kind of on the what's on the docket for you give in the us, near future? Give us a sneak peek. I'm really, really getting into figuring out the best way to optimize rest mm. and how to just come out of that completely rejuvenated. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's I've only been in tabletop RPGs, um, like. So on my first project, which was a 5e thing, was like a complete accident. I released that in November 2021. And it was like, I'm going to do this this thing um, and it'll be fun. And I gave it away for free for three months. And then people were bullying me to charge for it. So I finally did. Good on them. And then they bullied me to start a Patreon. And then they bullied me to, uh, they didn't bully me to release my next game. I just did that because I needed to. And, and then they bullied me to rest, but then I made the sticker game. And, and, then, and then they bullied me to rest, and then I made Tangled Blessings. And then they bullied me to rest, and I made Card by the Garden. So it's been a long um, journey for me to decide. <laughs> I got to get those kind of bullies in my life. <laughs> yeah, They're not doing like a good bullies. job. They're not bullying hard <laughs> enough. <laughs> You're bullying your bullies on our podcast? <laughs> Wild. Wild uh, that you're coming for them like this. So uh, I really do need to take a break. So um, I'm trying not to set myself up for too much. I'm trying not to think hard about what I want to do next, where I want to explore next. 
um, or what I want to quote unquote monetize next because that's where everything ends up going these days. But uh, I do have another solo game that I've been working on roughly two years that has its own system. I'm, I'm completely scrapping what I have. The system I'm not scrapping. The, the system is beautiful and I can't wait for people to see it. But I am scrapping what I've written for the game. So I'm going to be redoing that. Just writing Anamnesis, my Anamnesis game and then writing Carved by the Garden and playtesting both of those and getting playtest feedback has really helped me fine-tune what I believe will be really good. So it's just taking that in and... That'll come out at some point, but other than that, it is it is rest. I've really got a I've got a chill. <laughs> yeah, that is the healthiest answer we've ever had on this podcast. I think that is a, that is an extremely healthy answer. And my unhealthy brain, when you said I'm figuring out how to optimize rest, I was like, oh, a game about optimizing rest. Like, what would that look like? What did you mean, rest as a mechanic? I'd like literally, my oh, brain was like trying five, to figure out what e game you could be talking book? about. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, a long rest supplement. Um, yeah, very healthy answer. I hope you figure it out. And if you find the secret, uh, let me know. I'll tell you at PAX. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, November is supposed to be my rest month, but we'll see. <laughs> I, I love that Elliot was so close to saying, uh, if you find the secret, be sure to monetize it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that too. Although people have tried uh, yeah. with, with, uh, with that. Um, I think that's just a spa, right? I think it's just money. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it's just having money it's, is how yeah, you optimize rest. Um, I would love to optimize my rest. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jeez. Um, Cassie, the, thank you so much for, for being on the show. We got one more question that we'd like to close out with, and that is, what do you bring into the table? So what is a, a person, a game, a show, a resource, really and anything in your world that you would like put on the table and recommend to the space right now, whether it's TTRPG related or not? I just read a game called The Last Flight of the Pandora. I picked it up at Gen Con. It is by Two Pancakes, um, and it is a great zine. I'm so impressed with this game. You can also pick it up on itch.io. It is a single session game, which is what I've been searching for. Um, also check out Hunt by Spencer Campbell or Gila RPGs, also a single session oh, game. Hunt is I've excellent. been looking for more single session games because I get really bored of running the same system over and over. And I love games where the, the ending mechanic is sort of built in. I touched on that a little bit with The Wretched. And so Last Flight of the Pandora is a game that takes place on a spaceship. It is a group game. It does require a GM, but almost no prep because you find out what the game is, what the problem is, and what the triggers are for each act. Uh, it has all these different scenarios. It blew my mind. It is so incredible. It's it, There's so much playability in this game. They did a great job with the art. It's The mechanics are so easy. The mechanics are so easy. The pickup and play is so fast. I am so impressed by it, and I haven't seen anybody talk about it. So check out Last Flight of the Pandora. And we'll be sure to put that link in our show notes so everyone here can go check it out, along with Hunt by Spencer Campbell and Gila RPGs and everything else we've talked about in this show, because we want you guys to find it. If you want a, a solo RPG, check out Rune by Gila RPGs. Also very good. Okay, sorry. Hell yeah. Had to, we talked about so many solo RPGs, I felt like I had to give Rune a plug. It's so good. <laughs> Honestly, I read Elliot had been like talking about Nova and the Lumen system for a while, and I had just been kind of putting it off. And then finally, he just gave me Nova uh, to read, and I was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" And then I picked up Hunt and Gen Con. And I was like, "Oh, I just love Spencer Campbell," is what it turns yeah, out. I just it's a short path Spencer to Campbell. oh, okay, now I'm a fan of your work forever. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's excellent, Spencer. We love you. 
Cassie, thank you so much for coming to the table. Thanks so much. You want to tell people where they can find you online if they're looking for you? Sure. You can visit www.cassiemothwin.com where you will find uh, my projects as well as links to probably my socials or some other thing that I'm up to. I'm on X, formerly known as Twitter, as well as Instagram, the Blue Sky, and Tumblr, and Facebook. So if, But join my mailing list because it's small and I need more people on it. So cheers. And if you want more gamey content from us, you should check out the 20-Sided Newsletter or head on over to the Many-Sided Media Discord, where we're going to be talking about all of our conversations from Talk at the Table, as well as all of our seasons of My First Dungeon. Those are both linked below in the show notes. Rate, review, and follow wherever you get your podcast because it really helps us out, and it just makes us feel all warm and good inside. And last but not least, that is what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. If you're hearing this, that means you have listened to every last second of this episode, and that probably makes you a fan of this show. Well, if you're a fan and you like what we're doing and want to help others find it as well, then consider leaving us a five-star review over on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Getting more ratings really does help more people find the show, and reading your nice words about the things that we put out into the world makes us feel all warm and good inside, and we want more of those good, good feels. So head on over to your podcast player of choice and leave us a five-star review. Thanks.